in Plattsburgh, 18 in St. Albans, and sunshine and 16 degrees in Middlebury. Welcome back to the Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here on this Monday, Martin Luther King holiday. And joining us in studio now for the first time, Martin Lawn. He's the chair of the Judiciary Committee in the House. He's been in the House for quite a number of years and uh, first time on the Morning Drive. So good morning, Martin. Thanks for coming in. Well, thanks uh, for finally inviting me to come in. <laughs> Whoa. I've, been, I've, been, I've been waiting for several years now. So. I get a zinger right off the bat. Bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> So uh, before we get into all the issues of the legislature, I just want to give you a minute to reflect, as we did with Representative Brennan when he was on. Today is Martin Luther King holiday, uh, and there was a lot of observances yesterday and today. And just any thoughts about Martin Luther King um, on this on this holiday? Yeah, I, I really appreciate that, actually. And, uh, and it's somewhat related to part of what we're going to talk about, I believe, this morning is, is public safety. Um, so one of the underlying issues are driving uh, our public safety issues and crime is, is poverty. And, and Martin Luther King Jr., uh, towards the end of his life in the late 60s, that was his focus, was an anti-poverty uh, focus. Uh, and, and we sh- wish we would have followed where he was leading us. I wish he could have kept on leading us there. I don't think we would have the same uh, issues with um, unstable families and communities and, and the crime that follows. Good, uh, good, uh, good points. That well, is a very well good taken. Point. You know, we say. we focus a lot on the on the "I Have a Dream" speech, but as our previous guest pointed out, there's a lot more that he worked on, and uh, poverty uh, was was a significant part of his message. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But would you agree that his the "I Have a Dream" speech, and I, I agree that there's a lot more to him in there. Um, but would you agree that those words, those really the simple message, but the really eloquent message of hoping that his young kids would someday be judged not by the color of their skin, but the content of the character is still such an important message that if we all followed, things would just be a lot better. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. That That is important. Uh I don't think that's sufficient to deal with all the issues that, that we have. Uh, I think there's, you know, again, there's battling the underlying issues that we have uh, in the country uh, and in our own communities, starting, starting with poverty. Now, uh, Martin, and again, we're going to get into the issues of public safety. Martin, of course, chairs the Judiciary Committee, where that's front and center this year. Um, but I do have to just, I remember, I think it was your first term, right, that uh, we collaborated on, on an issue. You'd been on the school board, and we were having um, a number of strikes back then, teacher strikes, and I, I felt like I had gotten you into a little bit of trouble at that time. Uh, well, yeah, I, I think I got myself into trouble. Uh, you, you you showed me the way, and, and I followed the path. Uh, the parts that I, I think I, in hindsight, was really uh, the biggest mistakes I made. Uh, this, this listening to me was was not not <laughs> listening to you because you also had Patty Comline there, and and I was mainly listening to her. I, I apologize, oh, but, okay. uh, <laughs> uh, and and the thing is that we it was a, you had me you and Patty convinced me to uh, bring an amendment to ban strikes, the Lalonde amendment, and and, and imposition of contracts. Uh, which is not a very popular, it was not a popular issue uh, for the Democratic caucus. 
uh, and and I stood up and I, I presented this amendment, and it, and I didn't really the things that I did wrong was I was sitting next to my seatmate in the chamber was the chair of the committee that dealt with that bill that I was seeking to amend. I had failed to tell her uh, that I was bringing this amendment. And she happened to be another South Burlington Democrat. So there was like two things I failed to do. Uh, and, and that, you know, you can do things like that. Just tell the leadership. <laughs> and and yeah, I didn't do that. But uh, we lost by one vote uh, in, in that vote. I and then, very well. And then we had a discussion uh, the next day about whether to uh, seek reconsideration. Uh, and it was in that discussion I, I grew to really appreciate Patty Comland and you because you you said, yeah, we don't want to tick off the speaker any more than we already have. You, Lalone, have to toe the line from now on or you're going to be marginalized. So I, I, I give that advice. You know, That advice led me to eventually be able to be the chair of Judiciary Committee. So I appreciate that. So yeah, it was it was quite the debate on the floor. I mean, and it was a one vote, and eight, I think it was eighteen Democrats did vote for it. Right. So it was uh, it was it was it was quite the debate. I thought it was. I thought I really appreciated that we finally had the debate on the House floor. I think that was needed at the time. No, I think so. And and it and I, like I say, I've I've used this uh, story many times, and one of the main points I make is that. Yeah, we get freshmen and new uh, legislators in every term, and eventually some of them mess up. And I like to explain to them that, you know, you can really mess up, and let me tell you how I messed up with leadership and still managed to have a career here at the legislature. So it's been a good story to tell. Good yeah, lessons. Yeah, we, we, we really did not want to put you in it. And, and it's, I think it's why we did not end up pushing going forward with reconsideration because we knew, like, look, Martin's already gone you know, over the line on this, and, we, and he's not going to want to come back and push for reconsideration of this vote again now because right. there were um, there were a couple of people missing. It was one of those situations where a couple of people were really sick and couldn't make it there. But anyway, it was it is quite it was quite the story, quite the debate. Yes. Um, so Martin, as chair of the Judiciary Committee, that's certainly uh, is always a big committee, and right now maybe even more so than ever, the spotlight is shining pretty strongly on on judiciary. Right. Because there are so many public safety issues. We certainly see it firsthand in Burlington, but in other places across Vermont as well. Um, and one of the things has been this growing problem of retail theft and what do you do about it? Um, so what's your, I know you have, you have actually sponsored a bill yourself. Can you start out just telling us what's the gist of your bill? What would it do? Uh, yes, I, I have a bill dealing with retail theft, and actually my vice chair, uh, Tom Burdett, has a similar bill, and, and we've been uh, taking testimony on, on both bills. Uh, but one of the basic ideas that uh, is in both bills is to uh, aggregate, aggregate the value of the merchandise that is taken over a period of time from one or more stores. Uh, and, and the idea there is there's something called the felony threshold, if the value of the merchandise that is uh, that is stolen exceeds $900, it becomes a felony instead of a misdemeanor. Uh, right now, misdemeanors are not being processed, and we'll talk, I'm sure, more about that because this is the, the heart of the issue is uh, how the courts are, are, are not working as far as disposition time for cases. Um, but in any event, the, this would create a felony 
uh, or, instead of several misdemeanors. Uh, that, that's the concept behind it, and we have been taking testimony. How So this would change it, and I think it's a good idea. We've talked about it on the show a number of times. Um, how, what, what are the numbers? Like how many, how many would aggregate before it would kick into a felony? So, so that's one of the issues uh, right now. It uh, would be over a 14-day period. Uh, however many um, thefts from different places. It would be over that time period. Uh, one of our witnesses, uh, Chief Sean Burke from South Burlington Police, uh, he explained that 10 to 14 days is the appropriate time frame. We've heard from others think it should be longer, should be shorter. Um, so that's one of the things we're still considering. But I, I will tell you on this particular bill, uh, I thought it was a good idea. Uh, I'm I'm maybe a little less convinced right now, but I raised this uh, with a couple of my other committee members. We had a meeting with most of the state's attorneys uh, back in early December, and I raised this as an issue that we would be looking at, a bill that we'd be looking at. And I heard it seemed that they were very supportive of it. But now in so far the testimony we've had, it's, there's not been strong support, including from the state's, the, uh, uh, state's attorneys, uh, at least so far. Uh, we're taking more uh, witness testimony. And what we're hearing is it's not going to resolve the issue, th- that this, this isn't the solution. Uh, if, we, if we turn these misdemeanor cases into a felony, uh, a felony takes a lot longer to process. Uh, there in, in Vermont, if it's a felony, you have the right, uh, uh, the offender, the alleged offender has the right to depositions, uh, and that takes a lot longer. It's, it's a more involved process. So we've had some pushback. The other pushback has been, well, you don't want felonies have a much worse um, uh, consequences for individuals uh, than, than misdemeanors do. Uh, but the main thing Wait, is... Can you repeat that line, that last one? Yeah, felonies, uh, there, there are more consequences for an individual long-term if they have a felony record as opposed to some misdemeanor uh, record. So, so that's another concern that we've certainly heard. But the main point is that I'm hearing that this isn't the solution. This isn't what we need to do. I mean, I'm, I'm happy. I'm not as concerned about turning this behavior into a felony, as I'm hearing from other uh, witnesses and other members of the committee. But I don't want to just put something out there just because it looks good. It has to actually get at the issue. And, and there's other things we're looking at uh, to get at that issue. There's uh, the idea of being able to arrest somebody uh, right now, and I'm sorry getting into these details, but but. Right now, if there's a misdemeanor and law enforcement doesn't observe the misdemeanor, they have to cite the person into court. So they give a piece of paper, and the person can come back to, or goes to court six weeks later. It, it, the, if you see the misdemeanor, the law enforcement can arrest the person, book them, take them in, and, and then they are released. They're not held, but it, there's a little more consequences uh, to being handcuffed and taken in and booked. Uh, so that's one of the things we're going to look at is allowing uh, a retail theft misdemeanor that's not observed by law enforcement uh, to lead to an arrest and, and booking. This is something we did last uh, this past year with violence in hospitals. Uh, that was a bill that we dealt with, and we allowed that to happen. There's another thing we're doing as well, which is uh, looking at is last year the Department of Corrections ended a program called Work Crew Program. 
And what we've been learning in testimony from the court, from the Defender General, from the state's attorneys, is that was an important tool for resolving retail theft cases. Often retail theft cases at arraignment would resolve with work crew. But now that that's taken away, it's not an easy path to resolve these cases. I went on about a lot there, I know. That's okay. There's there's, there's so much to unpack. And uh, unfortunately, we have to take a quick two-minute break. And then uh, we'll get to the calls. 140303. This is the Morning Drive on News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to the Morning Drive, everybody. Kirk and Anthony here. It's Martin Luther King's holiday. And uh, we've got Martin Lalonde. Same first name. Martin Lalonde is on with us. He's the chair of the Judiciary Committee in the House. And uh, the lot of issues in the judiciary, there always is. But this year, there's a big focus on public safety because it's been front and center uh, in communities across Vermont. Um, and Martin, so I have to I have to want to dig in and explore a little bit about what you just said. So I have to tell you, I was frankly heartened by, the, by your bill because we've talked about that, the fact that there just doesn't seem to be consequences uh, and store owners have said that repeatedly, and it's in Vermont communities, but it's across the nation in a lot of places, too. I saw a headline in a New York paper the other day with a store owner's business that had been totally ransacked, destroyed, and the headline of the story was that the store owner said, there seems to be no one seems to be getting punished for anything anymore. And so I understand you're hearing from some people now that oppose that, but store owners and citizens really feel like look when people seem to know that there's no consequences that they can go out with impunity and steal up to nine hundred dollars and there's going to be very little consequence don't we need to have some consequence to this kind of crime absolutely i and and that that is the critical point uh and i agree completely is is there needs to be accountability uh there needs to be consequences so uh to deter crime, and, and, and I'm going to back up just for a moment because uh, I'm I'm at the end of the pipeline in the Judiciary Committee. What 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 we really need to do is have appropriate treatment for mental health issues, for substance use disorder. We need to deal with homelessness. All those things are critical for preventing crime. But that's not my my committee. I'm at the end of the pipeline where things have gone wrong. So now somebody has committed crimes, and 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 you need to have consequences. So. Where, where uh, the criminal justice system comes in uh, for addressing crime is that we try to have it as a deterrent. I mean, that's one of the main uh, purposes for the criminal justice system is deterrence. Uh, and to have appropriate deterrence, you need a couple things. You need to have the probability of being caught. That's like the number one thing you need. That's law enforcement. That's making sure there's available law enforcement, a presence of law enforcement. That deters crime. The second most important thing is the certainty and the swiftness of the consequences. What those consequences are are the are less important. Uh, having really harsh incarcerative sentences doesn't deter crime. It is the consequence being close to when the offense is. There has to be that certainty. It's like if if your dog goes to the bathroom on the rug, you don't three days later scold it. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. You know, that's maybe not the best analogy, but <laughs> no, but, but the idea is that you want relate. the consequences associated with the offense, and that will give you some deterrence. So, 
Why are we, where are our problems with that? It's in the court processing right now. It's the backlog that the courts have. Misdemeanors are taking months, if not years, uh, to address. And people are uh, going out and, and committing additional crimes. Not many, but there are certain repeat offenders who are uh, going out and stealing again and again and again. There are people who are violating their conditions of release again and again and again. And they're all misdemeanors, and they are taking a very long time to be heard. And also, there we see these cases, and it's so frustrating for citizens and store owners and managers, etc. They also aren't showing up in court for their court cases. I right. mean, it's they're thumbing their nose at the judicial system. We had a guy the other day, and it was in South Burlington, where the CX did the story on it. Thirteen straight times had not appeared in court. And for us regular citizens, we feel like if Anthony didn't show up or if I didn't <laughs> oh show God. up, we'd, we'd have some consequences for that. Sheriff right. Galvin would be right. on my tail. Right, right, <laughs> absolutely. And, and I know there are a number of bills that are looking specifically at that kind of issue. Uh, I won't get too deeply into those because the, the Senate is starting with that, so I haven't focused a lot of my energy on to how to resolve that. But even there, uh, putting pressure on the court's uh, giving them the resources they need. You know, I've talked to court personnel, and they've talked about the, the concept of if somebody is repeatedly not showing, they need to move up their underlying case and, and get it resolved earlier, uh, as opposed to allow that behavior to continue and continue. That, that, in other words, should be part of their calculation for priorities, because that's the whole thing. There's a certain amount of resources and a certain priorities they look at. Uh, domestic violence. You want to protect individuals who are victims of domestic violence. You want to resolve violent crime. But you also need to have a priority of these repeat offenders because they are what's, I think, really leading to the sense of insecurity that we have in, in our communities. Well, and I think you, you uh, I learned something a lot just a few minutes ago, um, that, that unless law enforcement witnesses a misdemeanor, they they really don't have the ability to arrest the person on the spot, right? And and so when we go when we think about it, I sometimes I, I liken it to like the old Andy Griffith show. I know the analogy may not be the best, but you scoop them up and they you put them in the cooler. They call it the cooler for a reason. Just you get arrested, you get booked, and you you park somebody for six hours in a cell right after they stole something. I think it has more of an effect than this long incarceration or anything else. And so right. you're looking at both of those things uh, at the same time with this with this testimony right now in committee. Correct. Correct. Yeah. But, yeah. We. I. I don't know if the the aggregating to become a felony is going to make it all through the process. It still might. We we are still taking testimony, but we're looking at these other what this testimony has helped is to define what the problem is and, and give us Let, some other tools to look at. Let's grab one call before we hit the break, and it could be that you'll have to answer the question when we come back from the break if it's something that's going to take more than a minute or Let's so. go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning, and it probably will. A couple of things. First, I'm amazed that as judiciary chair, you can support an impeachment inquiry uh, behind closed door against a duly elected sheriff for actions uh, supposedly before he was elected and known by uh, by voters. Uh, can you explain that? And one other thing, are safe injection sites illegal under federal law? And if so, how can we uh, pass a bill supporting that? Um, we do need to hit a break in a minute or so. Would you rather Would you rather talk about that when we come back when we have ample time to for you to answer it? That, yes, that's probably makes sense. Okay. All right. Well, we got to take a bottom of the hour break. We're going to check in with Fox News. Amanda's got the headlines. We got the forecast. 
from Gary Sadowski from Channel 3, and we'll be... It's the Morning Drive on FM 96.3 and AM 620. News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to the Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here on this Monday, Martin Luther King holiday. And uh, Martin... uh, I was about to say Martin Martin Lalonde, the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, is with us, and we're going through a lot of issues, public safety issues. And, Martin, I'm going to let you first address... The question that the caller called about at the end of the last segment, which was the uh, impeachment proceedings in regard to uh, Sheriff John Grismore in Franklin County. Yes, uh, I think the question was why were, were why have our deliberations in the impeachment committee, which I which I chair that committee, uh, are behind closed doors, are uh, in executive session as we call it. Uh, and there's a couple reasons. Uh, th- this is equivalent to uh, an investigation that a prosecutor would uh, undertake to determine if they're going to uh, indict an individual. It's, a, it's similar to a grand jury. Uh, those things are traditionally uh, done uh, in in or behind closed doors, as the person used that phrase, or in executive session or confidential uh, for, for important reasons. Uh, you want to have uh, the witnesses at that point when you're doing the investigation to be as open as possible. Uh, this was particularly true with respect to the state's attorney uh, Lavoie uh, matter because this, the individuals that came in and testified were, uh, were employees and had, had been dealing with this hostile environment. And uh, we were concerned about actually just how traumatic the events had been, but also concerned about uh, retaliation. And, and the issue of retaliation is certainly one of the uh, issues that we had with respect to the witnesses that we were looking at for the Grismore matter. So uh, until we've decided that there is going to be a, uh, articles of impeachment, and there hasn't been a decision on that yet, uh, for the Grismore matter, uh, the investigation necessarily uh, needed to be uh, as much as possible uh, in executive session. Uh, the uh, Sheriff Grismore uh, said that he would not uh, be uh, in executive session, that he would not testify or, or come before us uh, unless it was open. And that was his prerogative, and uh, we decided that we would go forward with that, and he did uh, testify in, in public. So uh, hopefully that, that may not be a satisfactory answer for the caller, uh, but really, uh, and we worked with our legislative counsel, our attorneys, to see if this was appropriate and, and, and got legal advice that it was. I suppose what looked bad in the beginning was that the speaker came out and said this was all going to be open and transparent. And, of course, I, having served on boards and stuff, I understand Sometimes you have to be in executive session, et cetera. But I suppose that's what got it off to a bad start was the speaker saying it's all going to be open and transparent, and then most of it really had to be behind closed doors. Yeah, and, and I thought so too. But I think just like the speaker, even though I was a practicing attorney for years, I didn't do investigations, and I didn't realize until we started getting deeper into it that it, we really couldn't have just a wide-open uh, uh, investigation. We got some calls coming in, so hold on just one minute. We'll be getting to your calls. I just want to ask you one more thing in regard to this case. Um, the state's attorney's case in Franklin County with John Lavoie, I just want to get your thoughts on this to the extent that you can, which is the difference, it seems to me, in that case was people didn't know what was happening in the state's attorney's office uh, when the state's attorney was voted in. But in Franklin County, in regard to the sheriff, with, of course, the, the incident with the kick, with the with the person that had been detained 
um, was seen everywhere. It was on CAX. It was on PTZ. It was in every... We all saw it multiple times. And he still got elected. Granted, he was a... Uh, there was a it was a writing campaign only, but nonetheless, thousands of people chose to check off his name. How much does that weigh on you in impeaching somebody who was duly elected despite this incident? Uh, significantly, uh, and and we we don't have the legal precedent in our state, but we're looking at other states, and uh, I. I don't believe that we can impeach somebody for behavior that occurred prior to them taking office. That's what impeachment is. So what we've been looking at, though, is you know those incidents before he came into office uh, are important to look at if it establishes a pattern, if that if that somehow affects how he's running the show in office. So that's really been our focus of our testimony. We did not look deeply at the incident uh, that occurred. We knew it happened. Uh, so, so that's that's where we are. So it can't be just based on pre-office uh, behavior. And uh, does the decertification that just happened does that figure that doesn't figure into your proceedings at all? Uh, that's something we've looked at as well. I mean, how is that impacting how the office is run uh, going forward? So, so that that can be relevant uh, and, and is something we've looked at. So I believe that the person had another question, which right. I can probably handle pretty quickly, the, the safe injection site legality uh, under federal law. Uh, it's not entirely clear at this point whether it would be illegal under federal law. There is one law called, the, I'm not going to remember the citation, but it's ca- called the Crack House uh, Law uh, Federal. Uh, and it's not it's not clear yet whether that would apply to uh, a safe injection site or overdose prevention site. Uh, but uh, we're giving immunity. What we're able to do and what we did in this bill, uh, and this is the part that the Judiciary Committee looked at, is providing immunity to an individual who uses such a site, immunity from prosecution for possession, not for other crimes. If somebody leaves uh, a site and causes you know, an ax- a crash of some sort, not immune for that, only for possession for use of an overdose prevention site and only under state law. We can't provide immunity under federal law. All right, let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Yes. Could you explain your intent be- behind the uh, gun owners registration and licensing scheme that you propose? Uh, yeah. States- one of the reason, one of the benefits of it is to circumvent the seventy-two-hour waiting period. Shouldn't you wait to see if that waiting period is overturned now that it's been challenged in court? Good question. Uh, that that's a good question, and uh, frankly, the way legislature works is you don't get every bill through. Uh, we have about a hundred bills in the Judiciary Committee. I do not anticipate this particular bill moving, but it's uh, to start the conversation. Uh, I know Representative Brennan has an other uh, uh, alternative for addressing the 72-hour waiting period. And both those bills, and I've talked to Representative Brennan and let him know that this was one approach uh, that I was going to be proposing. And it's really to start the conversation. And uh, hopefully we'll have some more guidance uh, from the Supreme Court, from the Second Circuit, uh, on the constitutionality of the waiting period. I believe that it is constitution, uh, constitutional, but uh, I'm not, obviously, the final word on that. So, All right. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning. Uh, please cut me off if this has already been asked. I've been trying to get 
get a get a call in. But um, okay. So pretty soon I'm gonna be sending you a bill to replace my keyboard because when you when you said that your major issue with turning multiple misdemeanors into a felony was because a felony had harsher consequences and you didn't want to do that. Like I coughed up tea everywhere. That was the biggest whopper I've ever heard. Is this in in the committee and the rest of the committee, is that your guys is thinking that you don't want harsher consequences for these things? Because <laughs> it is. I feel like we're in totally different realities. I need some help here. Is that all right, got it. We, we got it, and uh, I don't know if Martin will be replacing your keyboard, but uh, <laughs> but I I will say that I had intended to come back to that too because I think there are there are some individuals we talk about this rotating group, right? I mean, Sean Burke said it the other day, twenty or thirty. We hear it in Burlington, same thing that there's uh, a, a number of rotating criminals, and they are criminals that are breaking into stores or that are shoplifting large amounts that are thumbing their nose at the judicial system, sometimes they're violent. Um, it seems to me that there actually should be harsher penalties and that sometimes uh, incarceration is what's needed. So a couple of things I, to unpack that. Um, you know, first of all, the most of the individuals, from what I understand from the testimony that we've received, who are uh, having the repeated retail thefts, uh, the underlying issue should be dealt with, which is uh, substance use disorder. But putting that aside, there needs to be consequences. And I absolutely agree there needs to be consequences. But uh, study upon study have shown that the, the uh, harshness of the consequences are less important than the, what I mentioned earlier, which is the probability of being caught and the certainty of consequences. If you're prosecuted for a misdemeanor retail theft, uh, if it's somebody who's repeating several times, the court can uh, incarcerate that person. But you don't need to incarcerate the person for years. Uh, you can incarcerate the person for days, and you're still going to have an impact for deterrence. So I, if, if having much harsher consequences had been, has been shown to uh, be a deterrent, uh, then I would be, you know, focusing on that. But I look at the research, I, and more importantly, I listen to all the experts that we have coming in front of us, including law enforcement, prosecutors, courts, defenders, all telling me that the most important thing is the swiftness and certainty of the consequences, not what those consequences the, the are. The only thing I would say, though, Martin, is there is a new wave of thinking among some state prosecutors and among some judges and it's it's across the country. It's here. It's across the country, and there are a lot of people, and I include myself in this, that think this is what been what the problem is. And there are those that say, "Oh, the old ways uh, don't didn't work." Well, this new way clearly is not working because we've never seen problems that we've seen now to the level that we've seen, which is that there aren't consequences. That there's that we say, "Oh, we can't incarcerate somebody." But, you know, the, I just want to ask you this and get your response to it, because it seems like if we have somebody that's committing lots of crimes and sometimes it, this happens the same way, even if it's a violent crime, we say, oh, they're they've got a mental health issue. So they're back on the street. I had a, a guy who was a bartender who said to me, this is just a person on the street. I thought he thought he nailed it, though. He said, look, I understand there may be a mental health issue here, but whatever the issue is, we can't have that person back on the street committing these crimes over and over again. Um if somebody is in prison um, for a, a 
significant amount of time, if they have had chance after chance, doesn't that reduce crime because they're no longer on the streets committing the crimes over and over again? So, so one of the other uh, purposes for the criminal justice system, and I mentioned deterrence, and, and that's what I've been focusing on here, uh, there's retribution, uh, there's rehabilitation, and there's incapacitation. And, and that is, in fact, something I've now raised in our committee a couple times uh, to talk about uh, the need that perhaps we need to have an incapacitation of some of these repeat offenders for some amount of time to cool them off. And, and, and we heard from Chief Burke, uh, who uh, supported that concept as well. But that's still not making it a felony. That, that is, a, you know, having a cooling off period or a timeout or whatever you want to call it or incapacitation, that may uh, be a legitimate part of this issue or part of the solutions. But it's still, it's still more important that we're getting the, those uh, misdemeanors heard in a timely manner so, uh, than changing to a felony. And, and, and a, a big part of the conversation this morning is the consequence has to happen right around the action. So right now what's happening is, the, so you're, you're talking about when you say incapacitation, it's kind of like a cooling, the cooler, the old, the old school. They'd say, they'd scoop them up and they'd park them in the cooler overnight. Well, that would happen instantly, and it has more of an effect than if they did 30 days, six months from now. 40303. Call now, because this is the Morning Drive on News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to the Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here. We're talking to Martin Lalonde. He is the chair of the House Judiciary Committee. We're talking public safety issues. And if you have a question for the chair, give us a call on the McKenzie Country Classic Hotline, 888 And let's go to it. Good morning. You're live on the Morning Drive. You know, this conversation just seems so futile and hopeless to me, the way our country is moving into a direction where anything goes. When I was a kid... There would be signs up that said shoplifters will be prosecuted. You were allowed to use video in courts for evidence of shoplifting. Now, when I'm talking shoplifting, I'm not talking about these 13-year-old kids who go and steal a bra, Victoria's Secret, or what have you. I'm talking about the fact that there is rampant shoplifting. You go in Home Depot, and they're walking out with shopping carts just full of thousands of dollars, and nothing gets done. And they drop it off with their buddies, and they go back in, and they steal another $1,000. These people need to be incarcerated at the time of the offense and maybe get some help talking about the issue. Maybe they're drug-related issues. I don't know. But like you said, even if it is an outlying issue, you've got to stop what's happening because it's affecting the people that shop. It's affecting the retail workers. And it's affecting our economy and this coddling these people. I don't know why why this just keeps going on. I'm sorry. I just had to share that. I think this, Martin, is the frustration that you hear from citizens over and over again. And this conversation, I think, sort of leads to that a little bit, too, because I have to say I'm frustrated because I do think that we need that aggregate bill that you that you initially put out there. And I'm disappointed to learn that it's being backed away from at the first signs of controversy with it. Um, I think that I disagree with what was said earlier, that uh, a, a short sentence, there are some people who repeat to me, and I want to get your response to this, who repeat over and over and over again with impunity, that think that it's okay, that there's no, con- and we think there's no no real consequences to what they're doing, 
sometimes they do need to get to me to be incarcerated, not for a weekend, but something that really is a felony. Because uh, I think it's the only way some people learn that they cannot do this, that a weekend uh, for a misdemeanor or, or 30 days or something is not going to do the trick. Uh, I think there needs to be for uh, we're all in favor of second chances, but we're given 10, 15, 20 unlimited chances. Right, right. I agreed with most of what your caller uh, uh, said, and I understand the frustration. We're definitely hearing that. And what we are doing is trying to find solutions that will work instead of solutions that might look good. Uh, and and uh, it, and that's not to say the, the aggregate uh, uh, bill is off the table. It, it is still something we're looking at. And we haven't backed off because of controversy. Uh, we are... I, don't, I wouldn't even say we're backing off. It's that not, it, we've not seen that this is a, is a solution. But I, I will comment about a couple other things. Is we can't just incarcerate people when they're arrested. Uh, we can't we can't hold people without bail unless it's a, a, a violent crime, a crime that's violence against a person with uh, great evidence of guilt. Uh, so we we have the Constitution that we have to uh, look at when we're dealing with these issues. You can't just take somebody in and put them in jail for 30 days uh, uh, until they have their day in court. That that's just not allowed in uh, in under state law. So, but I do want to comment about a couple other things in the in the brief time that we have remaining. And and one is that one of the things we are looking to do is and one of the consequences for those. Uh, you know those young kids that are going in, or those first timers that your caller even mentioned, is is sending them to diversion, and we're trying to expand that for those individuals. That does not deal with the repeat offenders. It really does not. So, but the other thing, I, I've uh, just to hit on the court issue again, and that's been a focus. Uh, and one of the, you know, there's been many reasons why the backlog has occurred, and it's because of COVID. Uh, it is because uh, of uh, putting a new uh, electronic uh, system for the courts uh, right when COVID was hitting. I mean, all these kind of issues happened and a bunch of vacancies. And over this past year, we've uh, been operating the courts with uh, four or five fewer judge, judges than we normally would have. Those have been filled. One of the bills we're also taking up is trying to make that a more efficient process so that if there are future vacancies, we can fill them a lot quicker than the four to six months to even a year that it's taken to fill those. Obviously so. got to correct that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so you got I, multiple fronts you're working on. I want to correct. We are almost out of time, as you noted, and I want to bring up. So um, um, state's attorney, Sarah George at Chittenden County put out a memo to all law enforcement. Uh, this was a couple years back, basically saying we're going to have trouble prosecuting car theft. And, I know that the state police officers, I talked to a number of them, they were really concerned about the memo. And for, whether it's directly tied to that or not, we've seen car theft go through the roof in Burlington and in your community in South Burlington. And we have a, a group here in Burlington that's proposed legislative change, which is from to move it from uh, from unauthorized use, which is in law now, to change it to grand theft auto, theft auto instead. Have you had any discussion about that, or do you are you aware of that issue? I'm aware of that issue. There are three bills that are in our committee that I'm intending on getting to before uh, crossover, you know, this session, uh, and see what what is a solution for that because recognize that as a problem as well. Okay, so there's potential that some yes. a legislative change could happen there that might make it more likely that these things can be 
uh, prosecuted, correct. whereas now they don't seem to be, and the numbers are through the roof. Yes, that's correct. All like right. It. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you, Martin Lalonde. First time on the morning drive. We'll have you back again, and thanks for coming in here on this holiday. Uh, we appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much. It's very enlightening, and it's it's good to hear that you know you're, how you're prioritizing it and the whole logic behind the process. Thank you very much. Appreciate thank your you. time. That puts a wrap on another edition of the Morning Drive. And tomorrow we are going to have a, I, what I think is going to be a fascinating interview with Garrett Graff. Yeah. He has written a book on UFOs, which I find a fascinating topic. And uh, I'm just finishing the book. It's going to be great. Uh, we're also going to talk to, um, oh, a progressive uh, running for Ward 1 City Council, right? Carter Newbezer. Carter Newbezer. Yeah. It's going to be a great day. And you're only going to find the Morning Drive room one place. News Talk WVMT Burlington. From ABC News.